Today on the show, we're chatting about the local stories that mattered most this week. Boise State Public Radio's George Prentice and our Hey Boise newsletter editor, Blake Hunter, are here to round up the stories behind the headlines. From abortion bills and legislative efforts to control Boise to the abrupt departure of a city council member, there's lots to talk about. It's Friday, January 20th, 2023. I'm Frankie Barnhill, filling in for Emma Arnold, and this is CityCast Boise. George and Blake, thanks so much for being here. We have so much to talk about, so much news this week. Uh, So let's get right into it, starting with the legislature. Um, Bills are starting to be debated. Uh, (laughs) A big sigh. Bills are starting to be debated. You know, the first couple of weeks, it's kind of uh, rules and things getting set up. But now we're actually seeing some of these bills come out. Um, And Blake, specifically this week, we saw two bills about abortion in the Senate, um, which is not surprising. uh, But at the same time, uh, yeah, there's some nuances here that are kind of interesting. Both of those bills came from uh, Senator Scott Herndon, and one did not advance to the next stage, but another one will advance to the next stage. So, Blake, what's in that bill, the one that's going to advance? Yeah, so basically this bill, the intention of it, um, according to Senator Herndon, was redefining kind of abortion within the Idaho, I guess it wouldn't be the Constitution. It's actually an amendment to the uh, No Public Funds for Abortions bill um, that was from a couple of years ago, one of the abortion bans. And so basically, his account of it is that he talked to a lot of um, healthcare people who were concerned about treating things like ectopic pregnancies and things like that. And so he basically redefined abortion as being intentionally killing a fetus or an embryo while it is in utero. So an ectopic pregnancy is when um, the embryo or the fetus is outside of the uterus, and so it is just not going to be viable. Um, And so treating that is no longer defined uh, or no longer could be kind of construed to be an abortion. And then the other thing uh, that goes in with that is just that if the fetus dies in utero as well, that removing it does not count as an abortion. Right. And of course, the backdrop is that we have an abortion ban that, uh, you know, criminalizes uh, medical providers uh, who would be providing an abortion. However, there is this exception, but it sounds like uh, he, he thinks and he heard from people who said this was murky and that they yeah. felt uncomfortable or like, you know, they could be actually taken to court because of um, the definition here of what counts as an abortion. Yeah, which certainly makes sense because, I mean, we have, what is it, three bans? Um, yeah. All of the language, they're kind of overlapping. Uh, the language can obviously be pretty confusing. It's also, they're mostly written by legislators who as this amendment kind of shows, don't really understand healthcare. You know, they are not required to understand healthcare. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I think it's very reasonable for people to be scared about it, especially because the penalties for uh, violating those bans is like tens of thousands of dollars in fines, um, several years in prison. I don't have the exact numbers on hand, but... And potentially losing your medical license too. Of course, yeah. So do we know what abortion access advocates are saying about this bill? Well, it's kind of interesting, actually. I feel like a lot of these, this bill in particular and a few others, really moved quickly this week with not a lot of public uh, feedback or um, kind of commentary at the statehouse. 
which again, I understand because going to the capital um, is a real privilege. It, you know, focuses on people who live in Boise who may also be more privileged and, you know, be able to go to the capital and, you know, spend time outside of work doing that. But I think that maybe there's a bare minimum of people being glad for the clarification around atopic pregnancies. But in a large part, these are still really, really strong bans that people are, are not happy about on the um, pro-abortion, pro-choice side of things. Yeah, that's a great point, Blake. And I guess, George, just in general, I mean, this bill, the next step, as I understand it, or before it uh, would reach the Senate floor for debate, is there would be opportunity for a public hearing. Is there going to be opposition uh, that will actually mount a defense to any of these abortion bills? Or uh, we know it's a supermajority of conservatives who have really strong feelings against abortion. Well, the skeptic in me is definitely thinking this is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Indeed, we heard from healthcare providers in 2022 saying they were really troubled, if not threatened, by existing anti-abortion laws. And Herndon floated this bill in front of Senate State Affairs, basically saying, oh, yeah, well, I've been talking to these healthcare providers. But I mean, he has shown his hand, if you will, because right. minutes before, he also proposed a bill that would not allow any exceptions for incest and or rape. My sense is, is that this is inching toward personhood. And as he proposes his bills, and I have no doubt if it does make its way to the floor, um, the word murder is going to be dropped more than a few times. I'm just a little skeptical about this particular bill, and I think that it is designed to basically keep pro-choice folks off balance, if you will, because indeed hmm. they do want exceptions for healthcare providers but they want a heck of a lot more exceptions than this ever provides. Mm, that's fascinating. I mean, playing devil's advocate, like, isn't it fair to say that this is probably the most that uh, abortion access advocates in Idaho can hope for at this stage, given, given the politics? Possibly, but if indeed, I would uh, call his bluff. First of all, who are you talking with, uh, Mr. Bonner County? Uh, who are you talking with? Um, I would be curious if he could not name institutions or groups or even names, because every healthcare provider I have talked to, and I've talked to more than a few than Bonner County could ever count, and they need a heck of a lot more protections than this. So if, Senator Herndon, you're saying you're talking to healthcare providers, I'm going to guess that they'd be the first to tell you that this doesn't come anywhere close to the protections that they're asking for from quite frankly, prosecution. George, you're absolutely right. I mean, try to point out something in the state house that's going to stop this bill and even more from just kind of moving forward with very little resistance. I just don't think it's going to happen. But on the grassroots level, tomorrow on Saturday, there's a big kind of pro-life anti-abortion choice rally that's happening. And then there's also a rally that's happening in opposition to that. And that is actually was originally started by, I'm forgetting her name right now, but the woman who went really viral on TikTok, who um, a few weeks ago was pregnant and um, having some serious, serious complications and going to multiple hospitals in Idaho and could not get treatment. She's kind of coming public into the public light for the first time, really, um, in person at least. And so 
on the grassroots level, there is actually quite a bit of resistance going on. I think that people are actually learning more about their options and what options they have, but there is actually movement going on just in other places outside of the capital. That TikTok uh, series from that woman was really, really tough to watch, um, but we'll, we'll find it and link it in the show notes for anybody who's curious to know what that was. And she's doing great now. Yeah. That's good to hear. Um, well, George, I mean, sticking with the legislature, you've followed the legislature for what, for decades? You've seen things come and go um, and the politics move. You know, there's, there's this House bill also. So we were in the Senate. Now we're talking about the House. And uh, Blake's actually written about this in our Hey Boise newsletter. And uh, this is around basically uh, tying abortion and tax uh, revenue and specifically uh, to Boise and what Boise can expect from the legislature for tax revenue. Um, George, I'd love you to talk about that a little bit. But first, um, actually, Blake, could you just Remind us what exactly was in this and who who brought this forward. What's going on here? So this was brought forward by um, a NAMPA representative, uh, Bruce Skog. Um, essentially, what this uh, bill would do is remove any cities from access to sales tax revenue, uh, which is appropriated through the state, if they signal that they will not uh, comply with Boise or with Idaho's abortion bans. So essentially. Last summer, after Roe v. Wade, Boise said that it would not be um, sending funds towards investigating people for pursuing abortions. Yeah, they said they would not prioritize. Prioritize, correct. Yeah. And essentially, um, Skog is saying that he doesn't want cities um, who say that to be able to still have sales tax revenue, which I believe is about 8% of the city's budget. Uh, and Boise is the only city to have said something like that in the state so far. George, what are your thoughts on this this whole this whole thing? Yeah, I've got so many thoughts. Uh, but for the record, Representative Bruce Gogg, he's first in line of the chorus of, okay, what legislation can we uh, basically target Boise with? And that's what they're doing, is they're targeting Boise. And how do you do that? You do that by crippling a budget. Um, and by the way, you know, what we're talking about here is you know, going after healthcare providers, right? Uh, Boise is basically saying that they're not going to prioritize their police department uh, by going after doctors and, uh, you know, healthcare providers who are providing emergency uh, care. By the way, there are no abortions taking place in Idaho with the exception of extreme emergencies. So in a state where Bruce Gogg and many of his colleagues would say, oh my goodness, we have a crime problem, we have a drug problem, and yet they're anxious to, to put uh, our law enforcement muscle against healthcare representatives. Uh, so what was interesting about this particular bill in committee on Wednesday, the uh, pro-life folks were out in numbers and uh, testifying in favor of this bill, and only one person testified against this bill. Folks, you can testify online. I'm not saying how to testify, when to testify, or even if to testify, but legislation, any type of legislation is crafted, is moved, etc., usually when people show up. Yeah, George, I think it's uh, it's just so interesting to see again and again. We've seen this over and over again, um, but this particular 
iteration of the legislature uh, focusing in on Boise. Now, of course, Boise is not named in uh, Representative Scog's bill, but uh, it's very clear that that's what it's targeting, that that's, uh, Boise is the only city that has one of these resolutions. And it's just, uh, yeah, fascinating to see this new level of focus on uh, an, an attack against Boise and its politics. Can I give you one more? Uh, something that has just surfaced. Absolutely. Uh, A new piece of legislation uh, has just surfaced that would prevent any state agency or department to make a donation to any nonprofit that has not that. uh, And basically what this is specifically, it's targeting donations that have come from the Department of Health and Welfare for the Pride Festival. So mm. here, here it, here it is again. Yeah, um, and <laughs> I guess I just want to also point out that, of course, uh, at this stage, it's just a few weeks into the legislature, but so far it seems as though the the focus of these bills that have surfaced so far have been mostly around the culture wars that we know um, a lot of the right wing, especially, uh, has made their bread and butter. Um, and uh, but what about the bills to you know do things that Idahoans really need and really want, um, and maybe you know Idahoans on both sides of the aisle, like property tax relief. Um, you know, what other bills are we, we're waiting for other stuff, right? This is how Herndon got elected. Keep in mind, he's a freshman and yet he has floated more legislation in the House and the Senate than any other legislator in either body in the first couple of weeks. Um, He unseated a veteran Republican in last year's GOP primary in uh, the panhandle, and he campaigned from the far right. He came in with a social agenda, and quite frankly, in uh, in the past, the state Senate was a bit of a firewall, but the state Senate is turning harder to the right, and that's why you're seeing some of this legislation being proposed in the Senate first. Pieces of legislation like this never would have started in the Senate. If they can pass through the Senate, it's a fair bet it will pass easily in the House. Let's pivot specifically to City Hall now. Um, Blake, another thing that you've been following in our in our Hey Boise newsletter is the unexpected news that uh, Lisa Sanchez, um, who's expected to run, was expected to run for another term on Boise City Council uh, this year, is no longer on the council. What what the hell happened? Yeah. Some important context here is that Lisa Sanchez was the only renter on the council. And she had an apartment in the North End, um, and she was notified, like I think she said the day after uh, Thanksgiving, that her lease would be ending on December 31st. Anyone who's rented in Boise in the last couple of years knows how difficult it can be to find a place. Uh, she had about five weeks to find somewhere. She has repeatedly said that she uh, talked to city staff, like the appropriate city staff, once she found a place that she wanted to move to. Everything seemed lined up. And then she found out that this new place that she was living was outside of her district. And part of the state code says that anyone who lives outside of their uh, moves outside of their district is their seat is vacated. Uh, And so that happened this week. Holly Woodings, the council, new council president, came forward and said that she was no longer in her position. So that is an entirely open seat now. and the Mayor McLean uh, announced this week that Boiseans can begin applying for that seat. 
and Elaine Cleggs, who has been on city council for, I think, almost 30 years um, and is leaving for a different position. So there are very soon to be two open seats on the council. Yeah, kind of a real mess. I really feel for her. Also, just like as a renter myself, I'm like, damn, I I mean, I get it. Yeah. I mean, five weeks to find a place. I don't know if I've found a place in five weeks. Uh, I did (laughs) last year and it was horrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's really, really, obviously really, really challenging. There's a lot still we're not, yeah, we're not totally sure what um, Lisa Sanchez knew at what point or did she know or how this exactly happened because it seemed as though, of course, she wanted to keep her seat, obviously. But of course, the background context, once again, to bring it back to the legislature, because we can't escape talking about the legislature, is that this whole districting thing in the first place that um, Sanchez had to be within the district, uh, that didn't exist when she was first uh, elected to office. The legislature created a law that affected Boise that meant that the city council had to be parceled out by district uh, as opposed to being an at-large council. So that is part of this whole conversation, right? George, what are your thoughts on on this story? Well, it gets real personal real fast. I know that Lisa Sanchez was hoping to stay with someone that would have kept her in her district for a transition mm-hmm. period. That did fall apart. And so, and all of this was in a matter of days, if not hours, at the end of the year, beginning of this. And so- Which around the holidays and everything, oh, I mean, makes it so much more complicated. Absolutely. Yeah. So there was that extra wrinkle. It wasn't even, you know, a matter of weeks. It was a matter of hours and days. And so if she could find a place in her district, that would be swell. Keep in mind that a person must reside in their district a minimum of 30 days to even apply for a placement as a council person. Uh, So there's that. Now, Elaine Clegg's seat. Elaine Clegg has been hired by Valley Regional Transit to be their new director. She starts February 13th, but she said she would stay on the council until, well, sometime in the near future. We still haven't gotten the date from her or the council. My guess is the mayor and the council would love for her to stay a little longer, but okay, look, if we're going to take applicants, let's have at it. The person who, who does fill Elaine Clegg's seat when Elaine Clegg leaves. That's an at-large seat. It will only remain at-large until November. Again, that seat will be thrown to the wolves as well. That will be part of districting. So basically, you're going to have a council person per district. Whether Lisa Sanchez emerges again, I think it's just a matter of when. I I, I don't think it's a matter of if. I think that she will tell a stranger how committed she is uh, to her work at City Hall. And I think that she will do everything and anything to run again and, if possible, to be appointed again. Yeah. And I mean, I guess to put a fine point on the sad irony of this, as council person, uh, Lisa Sanchez put a spotlight on renters and the plight of renters and the issues surrounding our housing crisis as it relates to renters and to see her lose her seat because her lease expired unexpectedly and she needed to find a place quickly. Um, Gosh, yeah. Talk about irony. Yeah, she's the only person of color on the council, too. Absolutely. The city council is losing an important voice. 
like her or don't like her, Elisa Sanchez matters. And uh, she has been targeted more than any other uh, political person in the Valley in recent memory. And she has emerged yeah. victorious time and again, as voters have said, yes, please. So I fully expect her to return uh, to the political arena uh, and she will campaign as good as anyone. George, uh, sticking in, in City Hall, uh, a slightly different story. There's so many stories coming out of City Hall right now. You are having um, conversations around the ongoing police scandal. What's standing out to you from your conversations with officials? Well, the way I approached it, I always have to ask myself, well, what do I have uh, to add to this to this conversation? Because goodness knows the issue of uh, Ryan Lee being asked to resign and then less than two months later, uh, the issue of uh, a former police captain, Matt Pringleson, a social media person, uh, puts a spotlight on his other life, if you will, and him buttressing racist ideologies. And no one at City Hall or at the police department is saying that they had any clue about this. Well, that'll be interesting to see if this investigation does surface anything. But I want to talk more about trust and the fact that trust mm. has been damaged and and has been damaged twice uh, in a very short amount of time. And how does the Boise Police Department earn that trust back? And then I'm curious about the trust within the rank and file that they will not be targeted in a witch hunt. And then you have to ask the question, how do you recruit in this environment? Where do you find better cops? How do you find better cops? Why, you know, does anyone even want to be a cop in America in 2023? And goodness knows, Boise is on a, a very long list of American cities with issues, right? Uh, when it comes to uh, with, uh, law enforcement. Yeah, absolutely. I just want to pause really fast on the um, on interim Chief Weiniger, who now is going on how many months being interim and with no real end in sight, right? <laughs> um, uh, so what did he say around the question of, uh, you know, how did this captain, uh, former Captain Matt Bringleson, having a leader po leadership position within the department and uh, being a member of the department for many, many years, uh, how did this this person with this ideology that was uh, a white supremacist ideology exist? And also, how could it be that someone in this position would not have in some way um, rubbed off on, had influence over other other uh, folks considering his leadership position. What did he say to that? I used the word infected in my question, and he bristled at that. And I reminded him mm. that it was the investigative committee that used the word. Not, I mean, I wasn't the fir first to use the word infected. But their answer, whether it's at City Hall or whether it's uh, uh, One Police Plaza, I mean, their answer is, I don't know. We don't know. But I, I don't know about you, but every conversation I've had around town for the last uh, month or so has been, you've got to be kidding me. It's ridiculous. What are, you, what are you saying that you don't know? They all know of him. And by the way, you can type in the name Matt Bringleson and you can find all kinds of stuff about him and how the police department put him in the in the storefront window as as a really good cop and and really engaged in the community, et cetera. Yeah, he hosted BPD's podcast, if I'm not yep. uh, incorrect on that. Yeah. Blake, what are your what are your thoughts on this whole ongoing scandal? I mean, I know you're following it closely, too. Yeah, I understand that there's the element of an actual investigation, but we've got to stop pretending that we don't know that police 
aren't like like there are just so many studies showing that law enforcement is indeed I think infested is a good word with like white supremacist ideology um, and lots of far right like militia group members in law enforcement and of course like you do have to be careful in these investigations and actually finding and like identifying people um, identifying specific actions but we've just got to drop the pretense a little bit, I think. Do you think, you know, George's uh, conversations are around this question of trust? Like, how do you think uh, Boiseans are, are, are feeling about trust right now with BPD? Well, I mean, if you think about the, so Matt Bringleson saying all this racist stuff, um, the people that are going to be most affected by that are, are not, you know, white, wealthy Boiseans. Um, and the people who are not white, wealthy Boiseans, mostly communities of color, um, immigrant communities and stuff like that, do not already have a lot of trust. So, I mean, that's kind of, I guess, what I mean by, like, we've got to drop the pretenses. Like, just listen to those communities. They're already saying that they don't trust BPD. And I would just add to that that they also, I believe, have a problem with those folks who are uh, privileged uh, who are questioning of course, uh, the police yeah. department. So, yeah. so yeah, you've got a problem across the board here as far as trust and erosion of trust. And whether you're building it from zero or rebuilding it, uh, it, it, you know, we have an issue of trust and we have to acknowledge that. And I think, again, it comes back to recruitment and reflecting a police force that reflects the community. And that's really, really hard, by the way. It's really hard. But that means, pardon me, here comes the word, quotas. And But that's, you know, maybe there's a better word for it. But for goodness sakes, until we can reflect our community, then you're at a disadvantage. Well, I want to wrap up with something totally different. You know, this is a question that I heard from a colleague recently talking about the love of their city. So yeah, here's the question. What's something that's happened to you recently that made you feel love for Boise or or feel connected to Boise? I can go first to kick us off. Um, this is a really simple one, but honestly, my little weekend ritual uh, has been lately to go and get um, a coffee from a local coffee shop. Last weekend, I went to Push and Pour on Laytaw and I got an iced matcha because it was actually kind of warm last weekend, as you recall, and then uh, went over to the Morris Hill Dog Park, which is one of my all-time favorite places these days, and I let my dog Daphne just have a ball um, and play with other dogs, and it's always funny because you end up like talking with other dog parents at the dog park and <laughs> having moments with with people there, so that's my, my recent moment is just like loving our um, our great local coffee shops and enjoying being outside with my dog at a dog park from the city of Boise. Blake, do you have one? I'm in really in love and kind of infatuated lately with various like mutual aid efforts that are happening in Boise. Because, you know, we talk about the trust issue. And um, I think that people are really putting their heads down and helping each other out. Obviously, Boise Mutual Aid is one of those the Boise Kitchen Collective, if people have not checked that out and like made some food for them, it's such a joy to go and drop it off um, and like talk to people and just kind of get to know, like just getting like kind of knee deep in your community um, in that way kind of makes me emotional of just like, we do have the ability to take care of each other. And I think people are really stepping up to do it. And it's really difficult. And I don't want to gloss over that. But 
yeah, just feeling a lot of love there right now. Yeah, that's that's a really empowering one. I'm glad. I'm glad you shared that, Blake. George, what about you? You know, I I don't want to follow Blake ever again. I mean, that was just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right? That was amazing. Blake, I was going to get serious. And then I'm thinking, no, I'm not going to get serious. Whenever I'm feeling sorry for myself or the state of the world, I know that I can get a red striped beer and a bucket of popcorn and peanut M&Ms at the flicks and, uh, and, the, and, and just, just lay back and just like, okay, come on. And, and, and there's documentaries and, and foreign films and, and, you know, and of course, you know, the Oscar films too, but I love the flicks whenever I'm feeling low. Yeah. Oh, a good uh, time at the flicks over a weekend, especially just, yeah, have a moment to just be in front of uh, something beautiful, some great art on the screen. Uh, I love that. And that's so George of you. I love that answer. <laughs> and, and a drink, right? Like alcohol. Yes. Oh God! Yeah, yeah, of course. That's that's the best part about it, right? Get some wine. And their food is so good too. It, it is. It really it has is. no no right to be as good as it is. Yeah. No, no right to be as good as it is. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I'll see you both at the flicks this weekend. Um, and thank you so much for yeah coming on the show and uh, digesting the news with me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much. So what's your latest moment of joy in Boise? It can be big or small. We want to hear it. Send us an email and we might share your story on a future episode. Email boise at citycast.fm. Or you can leave us a voicemail. We love hearing from you. Call 208-546-9485. And while you're at it, just add us to your contacts. Our music is by All the Kimonos and local band Up Is The Down Is The. The show is produced by Evelyn Avitia and Blake Hunter writes our daily Hey Boise newsletter. Emma Arnold will be back in the host chair on Monday and I'm Frankie Barnhill, lead producer of the show. Have a good one, Boise. 